Welcome back to the Women of the Word podcast. I'm Lauren Susanto here with Jen Wilkin. Jen, thanks again for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to talk to you. So the last time we talked, we explored how we can overcome some common barriers to Bible study, mm -hmm. helping people actually get into the Bible for themselves. But once they get into the Bible, start that process, is there a right or a wrong way to read the Bible, to study the Bible? So that's what we're gonna talk about today. So in a previous episode, we were talking about time and how in order for us to build good habits, we first have to take an inventory of the habits we currently have. Right. So before we can get better ones, we have to know what we're currently doing. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the most unhelpful approaches or just an example of a few unhelpful approaches that you've heard for people when it comes to studying the scriptures? Yeah, so I, I do like to just qualify this by saying that the reason that I can speak with some authority <laughs> on these ways that are maybe less than helpful is because I'm myself have uh, used all of them, some or all of them at any given time in my own approach to the scriptures. Um, and one of the reasons that I began to sort of keep an inventory of them is because I think a lot of us, you know, we talked about people who perceive a barrier to doing this because they feel like they're not able to or because it feels intimidating. But there's also a group of people who would say, no, I, I do spend time in the scriptures. Like, why do I need a different approach? Right. And what I would see is that there were people who had been in church for their entire lives doing things that they considered Bible study who couldn't pass a simple pop quiz over factual information. And so that should cause us to pause and think, okay, well, maybe my assumptions are wrong. Uh, one of the common assumptions that people have is that all contact with the Bible is good contact. And so you sort of superimpose that onto a quiet time subculture in the church of all contact is good contact. I'm just gonna give my 15 minutes a day and then the Lord will bless it because I was faithful to do it. So we have to think back to 2 Timothy 2.15 that says that we want to present ourselves as workers who are unashamed. Well, that must mean that there are ways of encountering the scriptures that would yield us to be workers who are ashamed right, right, <laughs> because right. maybe we weren't using the best tools yeah. that we could. And so really the first one uh, that comes to mind for me is one that I have somewhat playfully labeled the Xanax <laughs> approach. It's been you know a pretty pervasive one really in women's circles. Yeah. And that is when I come to the Bible asking it to make me feel a particular way. Mm. And so you've probably seen oh, this. Yeah, like, been there myself, I honestly. Mean, <laughs> but like you look at like Instagram, for example, yes. right? And um, let's say that I have been really having a lot of anxiety that I'm dealing with. Yeah. And um, I, I just am worrying a whole lot and life is weighing heavily on me and so where am I going to go in the scriptures? Well, be anxious for nothing but in all things through prayer and supplication, right? Yes. Make your request known to God. And then I'm going to like say it over and over again. I might like put it in a share square and put it out on Instagram because yeah. I want everybody else to feel what I'm <laughs> feeling, right? Uh, or let's say that um, it's uh, New Year's and I ate too much during the holidays mm. and my clothes don't fit anymore and I'm feeling <laughs> uh, like bad about the way that I look or my pants don't fit. Yeah. Where am I going to go? Psalm 139, mm. 14. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm going to like say it over and over again over myself until I believe it. Yeah. Maybe I'm super tired, right? I'm just mm. so exhausted. Well, where am I going to go? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now it says rest for your souls, but in the moment, I just need something that's yeah. going to you know, give me that, oh, I feel seen. The Lord doesn't want me to feel this way. And um, so the Xanax approach will kind of 
we sort of self-medicate mm. with the Bible. We're using it to fix our feelings, but we're just kind of randomly pulling things however mm. we want to. And it's gonna mean, if that's the primary way that I approach the scriptures, well, first of all, there's gonna be large sections of the Bible I'm never gonna to go to, right. right? Yeah, Leviticus. Leviticus, right, or uh, Jeremiah uh, 17, nine, that mm -hmm. says above all else, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Right. Like that doesn't leave you feeling <laughs> New phone background. warm, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and no one no one puts that in a share square on yeah. Instagram, right? You know, right. and so, uh, so I think that when our primary approach to the scriptures is asking the Bible, um, to make us feel a particular way, it shows that we have a fundamental misunderstanding of what the Bible is for. It's not primarily wanting to make us feel a particular way. It's wanting to tell us who God is so we can understand ourselves in light of who he is and so forth. I mean, I've definitely been there myself in mm -hmm. a lot of ways, and it's easy to kind of go back to the tried and true things just to make yeah. me feel a certain way or when I'm feeling down. And not that there isn't a place for that, obviously, mm -hmm. but it's not the primary way. <laughs> we should be, always be reading our Bibles. Yeah, it's not wrong to, to think that we should have feelings related to yeah. the scriptures, but the question is, should we demand that the Bible give us a feeling in the time frame that we have to give our time to the scriptures? So it's really, it's co-opting the Bible and asking the Bible to serve us mm -hmm. rather than wanting to serve the God of the Bible. What would be an alternative approach to this? So if, if if somebody would, you know, I, I sometimes struggle with this myself. Mm -hmm. So if I have a tendency to say, okay, I'm just going to go find something in the mm -hmm. Bible that I feel a certain way, I need to feel better. What is an alternate approach or a well-rounded approach mm -hmm. rather than Xanax approach? Well, it's the product of a long-term approach, mm -hmm. right? And yeah. so it's rather than saying in the moment, I'm going to fix this with a verse, it's saying, wait a minute, I know some things about the God of the Bible because I've spent some time in the big story. Uh, I know that God is faithful to his promises and that if I'm anxious, that I'm anxious because I see this much and he sees all of it. And so uh, it isn't that we wouldn't draw any comfort from that verse in Philippians or, or any instruction from it. It's just that it's going to be of limited usefulness in, in getting that big picture of scripture because the Xanax approach is guaranteeing that you're getting spot knowledge of the Bible versus getting long stretches of understanding, mm -hmm. which is that's where we, we become more grounded in our faith. So let's look at another one. What yeah. is the pinball approach? So the pinball approach is where I don't really have anything in particular that I want to study, but you know, it's all good, right? It's all good. Yeah. Everything in here is useful. It's profitable. And so yeah. I'm just going to randomly just hurdle the ball of my <laughs> ignorance toward a flipper in over here in Luke. Oh, here we go. I'll just read this. And Jesus full of the Holy Spirit uh, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days. Well, I don't know, I'm not getting a lot out of this. I think I'll flip back here and read it a little bit out of the Psalms. You know, and we just send our, uh, our ignorance ricocheting around to different portions of the Bible as the Spirit leads. Like that's, mm. that's how we, we will assign, you know, sort of a higher meaning to what we're doing. And um, so it sounds kind of spiritual, you yeah. know, like I just want right. the Spirit to lead me to where I should go. But really, what we're doing is we're reading the Bible the way that we wouldn't read any other book. Like the Bible is not meant to be read that way. It's not designed to be read that way. Yeah. And, um, you know, imagine if you did this with um, your high school chemistry textbook. Like imagine if you came in the first day of high school chemistry and you flipped to the middle of chapter four and you read a paragraph out of it and you really like, you spent some time really trying to think about what you were reading and then you said, now how does that change my life today? And then you closed your chemistry textbook and you left 
Yeah. And then you came back the next day and next day you turned to chapter eight and you repeated the same process. And then you came back the next day and you turned to chapter two and you repeated mm-hmm. the same process. Well, you can imagine you'd get to the end of the semester and take the exam and fail. You probably. would fail. <laughs> yeah, you would fail because a chemistry textbook isn't written to be read right. that way. Yeah. And a hard way to learn chemistry. Yeah. <laughs> and neither is the Bible, yeah. right? Yeah. And so when we begin to recognize, oh, um, an author wrote each of these books and they did what your chemistry textbook author did. They they knew who they were writing to. They had reasons for writing. They organized what they were writing so that they could communicate what they needed to communicate. And it's meant to be read from the beginning to the end. Then we begin to understand books of the Bible differently than we would if we were just sort of like ricocheting around. Okay, let's go to the next one. What's the magic eight ball approach? So the magic eight ball approach is kind of a variation on the pinball approach, but it has to do with decision making because we always are thinking, oh, you know what the Lord really cares about? Whether I make good choices. And and now don't get me wrong. I think the Lord does care about whether we make good choices. And I think the Bible has a lot to say about wisdom principles that help us make good choices. But uh, God is always more concerned with the decision maker than he is with the decision itself. And so we place the emphasis on the decision point. And he is like, I can use a good decision or a bad decision to grow you in holiness. And we all know this, right? But so like what'll happen is my life is filled with decision points and I need to figure out, should I marry Jeff or not? And so I shake up my magic eight ball and I point to a verse and it says, it came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. And until the end of the 11th year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, you know, I know a guy named Josiah and he's friends with Jeff. So that must mean Jeff is who I'm supposed to marry. And so we try to have this causation correlation thing with the way that we have picked a particular verse out of the Bible. And again, like what we're doing there is we are saying, God wants me, first of all, to have knowledge of the future, which is actually not what the Bible would say. The Bible says that blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. And so we sort of cloak it in this wisdom language of, Lord, give me wisdom from your word. But what we're really looking for is information and a specific kind, information of the future. But I think the biggest issue with the magic eight ball approach is that the Bible is not magical and it doesn't exist to serve our whim. Again, it's me saying, I'm going to put you to work for me and to do what I want you to do versus what it's designed to do. Um, and it's it's not magical. It's not meant to be used uh, for something that's really kind of a modern day equivalent of soothsaying. So we we'll just want to be careful with that. Yeah, and the pinball approach is kind of the same thing mm-hmm. of being able to turn to any specific point mm-hmm. and then immediately being able to glean some sort of wisdom or answer mm-hmm. out of just one specific verse. So context is is helpful too so important. In, in both of these approaches. Right, and I, it, there is a desire, there's an underlying desire that is is admirable, we should say. It is, it is important for us to recognize that the Spirit does speak to us through the Scriptures, mm-hmm. but the Spirit doesn't speak to us through the Scriptures any way that we want the, the Spirit to. And in many, many ways that we think about the Spirit speaking through the Scriptures, we've over-spiritualized mm-hmm. our understanding of how that happens. and made it really essentially kind of Gnostic. It's like God is going to tell me something. He's not going to tell anybody else. So it seems like the pinball and the magic eight ball approach have some similarities. What do they maybe reveal about how we approach the Bible in and of itself or what we view the Bible to be in and of itself? Yeah, I think also the Xanax approach would Mm -hmm. fall into this too, that we view it to be primarily therapeutic 
or you know the the way it's often been talked about is the Bible is a roadmap for life. Mm-hmm. Uh, in other words, it's supposed to tell me exactly what the decision points are and where to go. Or the Bible is God's love letter to you. You can hear the yeah. the Xanaxy idea right. in there of like, well, he wouldn't write me anything in a love letter that would be upsetting or challenging <laughs> or anything like that. <laughs> and so again, I think it's messaging um, that just kind of is in the groundwater a lot of times. But also, I, I hope what you heard also in those statements I was making is that it's for you. It's for you, Lauren. Mm-hmm. Lauren, it's for you. Now it is. It is for the individual, and that's a precious thing that's true about it. But um, the the magic eight ball approach or the pinball approach makes a lot less sense if you're sitting in a group of people having a discussion. Right. Right. Because right. then you begin to realize, oh, well, it is for me, but it's only for me secondarily. It's it's the the layers I sometimes walk people through is that the Bible was for them and for them, mm-hmm. for for the original audience. It meant something to them. Uh, and then the Bible is for us and for always. It's for the church, mm-hmm. universal, all time. And then lastly, we should think, how is the Bible for me and for now? But m- many of us don't know to even think about those first two layers of application. And so then we come to it saying, no, I just need, I, I have 15 minutes and I just need for me and for now, for me and for now, for me and for now. And it can put us into that kind of a mindset, which is to say nothing of the number of people who've told us that's exactly what we're supposed to do. Right. It can just be limiting and not helpful. There's more mm-hmm. to what our Bible study can can give us than yeah. just going to it for these little quick fixes or things like that. Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't read the works of Shakespeare. You know, you wouldn't shake up your copy of Shakespeare yeah. and point to a line in it and ask it to speak truth into your life. Why do we think that's the way that the Bible operates? Right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's keep going through some of these other unhelpful approaches. Okay. Uh, what is the personal shopper approach? So the personal shopper approach is, you know, I'm, I'm, I really want to know how to be a godly woman, or I really want to know how to have contentment in my life. But uh, this is a pretty big book. I'm pretty sure there are verses in here that talk about that, but I'm not really sure where they are. So I'm just going to let big name Bible teacher X pull all that together for me and walk me through it. So, you know, for anyone who's done Bible studies, you would recognize this by its actual name, which is a topical Bible study. And um, so it's not to say that topical Bible studies are not helpful because they absolutely are. Like, strictly speaking, if you were studying doctrine, like you were studying the doctrine of the church, for example, that would be a topical study. It would be taking passages from all over the Bible and showing how they come to bear on a particular topic. And so that's important. That's something that we need. But when we mistake them as being foundational studies rather than topical studies, then we actually have a fundamental misunderstanding of how they function. They're meant to function layered on top of a foundational understanding of the Bible as a whole. So in other words, I can only understand the beauty of the doctrine of the church if I have some sense of how the Bible as a whole is talking about that idea. Um, And so we look at an idea like contentment, and it might help me to learn how someone else has synthesized all of the different passages in the Bible on contentment, but I'm still taking that person's word for it, right? And I, I need to be able to weigh what they're saying against my own reading of the scripture. Because um, you won't stand before God and give an account for how well you've loved God with my mind. Right. 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 Sometimes I am big name Bible teacher X Mm -hmm. in this scenario, although I don't happen to write topical studies. But um, you don't want to just listen to my teaching and say, oh, that must be what the Bible says, because you're called to love God with your mind. So often with the topical Bible study space, 
<clears throat> Again, we have forgotten to take an inventory of how much of our time is being given to topical study. And um, a lot of the resourcing that's come out through Christian publishing over the last 30 or 40 years has been geared toward topical study and away from line by line approaches to scripture. And so many of us kind of without even noticing it have slipped into a pattern of only doing or almost exclusively doing topical study, which means we're not learning um, our own basic information about the Bible. We're taking that other person's word for it and we may not be able to discern between who's doing that well and who's not. So there's a balance in you know kind of what we're doing here together of teaching people how they can study the Bible for mm -hmm. themselves. But it could also kind of be like we talked about in a few episodes back, the, the balance between like devotional, reading the Bible yes. devotionally. Right. Not that devotional reading of the Bible is bad at all. Right. There's a time and a place for that. That's but if right. that's your main course of Bible mm -hmm. reading, there's something we're just fundamentally missing. Mm -hmm. So that would probably be kind of what you would say, or that would be what you would say about the personal shopper approach too, that yes. there's a balance. Yeah, topical studies have their place. They absolutely do, but that place is not foundational. Um, and so, again, what's the thing that you've neglected? That's probably the thing. There are people who have spent all their entire lives only doing Bible literacy building kinds of things who really needed to do a study on the doctrine of the church to help them synthesize what they were seeing. So again, it has a lot to do with what has been your steady diet. I would say that what I have seen in most of the local church spaces that I've been in is uh, an, an, an airing toward almost entirely or entirely doing topical studies. Yeah, I resonate with that too yeah. in my personal experience. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. What would you say the telephone game approach is? So everybody's probably played the telephone game and yeah. uh, you know it's funny when your kid's sitting in a circle to whisper something in one person's ear and see how distorted the message right. gets by the time it gets around the circle. <laughs> Uh, but it happens a lot with the way that we interact with the scriptures or where we substitute something else for our interaction with the scriptures. And so, you know, we live in an age of unprecedented access to things that are about the Bible, Bible adjacent resources, yeah, right. so to speak. So whether that's commentaries or podcasts or uh, blog posts or uh, whatever that you have easy access to, and we get this flood of people who are talking about the Bible. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so they may be saying good things. They may not be saying good things. It's hard to say. But a lot of times what will happen is you might hear your pastor quote John Piper. And John Piper was actually quoting um, Athanasius. And Athanasius was actually riffing on Paul or whatever it is. Yeah. You, know, you could walk it all the way back and you could add more layers in there than I've just given in this example. Yeah, sure. And so while what John Piper may have said may have been perfectly true and beautiful, you're still listening to what someone said about what someone said about what someone said about the Bible, right? Right. And so the more that our intake is from secondary or third sources, the more likely it is that we are getting static introduced into the system. But let's say for the sake of argument that all of those secondary, those Bible adjacent resources are solid ones. Still, why would you devote the lion's share of your time to those at the expense of just reading the Bible, because the Bible itself is what is going to help you have the right reference point for all of those other things. Mm -hmm. And so um, just sort of assessing, like, how drawn am I to what someone said? Because what has often been become the case um, in our churches is that we are content to become curators of other people's opinions about a book that we don't read ourselves. Yeah. We don't want to do that. Right. What a gift that we actually have this, that we each have a copy of yeah. this, multiple copies. 
So yeah, it's like reading the spark notes instead of reading the book or That's right. watching the trailer for a movie instead of actually watching yeah. the movie itself and telling yourself it's the same thing or right. you got that you got, you got enough of it. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like, I, it also reminds me of all of these is the not foundational knowledge of the scriptures that we have for ourselves mm -hmm. allows us to test what is true. Like in Acts, the Bereans tested what Paul said right. for themselves. And so if we don't actually know the Bible, mm -hmm. there's no way that we're able to test that what we're being told is true. Mm -hmm. And then we're just taking it as, well, if they say that's what's in the Bible, then that's what's in the Bible. Mm -hmm. And that's what a false teacher is relying on you doing, is relying on you not knowing enough of the Bible firsthand to where they can put it together however they want to and present it to you as cohesive. And you'll believe it because you haven't done the work yourself. Yeah. And so not that there's, again, like we've kind of been saying, there is a place obviously for podcasts yes. and books. Those can, things can be such helpful, mm -hmm. but they're meant to be supplementary. They're meant to be supplementary. And not only that, we'll get into this a little bit more as we move through the podcast. But one of the things that they're doing for us is they are taking away that wait time, mm. right? Um, we feel the dissonance of what we don't know and we don't like it. Yeah. And we want to mitigate that immediately. Mm -hmm. And so some of it is not that these are bad things in and of themselves, but it's that they have a place in the learning process. And if we run to them too quickly, we're actually sabotaging the learning process. Okay, so there's one more approach that I want to talk to you about, the picky eater approach. What, how would you define that one? Well, I've already confessed in an earlier episode that I definitely did this, and I think it's one that a lot of people can relate to. That's where I, I gravitate toward reading portions of the Bible that seem more accessible or relatable to me. Yeah. And so in my case, it was the New Testament, but not just the New Testament. Like for years, I had a Bible that was just the New Testament Psalms and Proverbs. It didn't even have the Old <laughs> Testament in it. And so I think I thought, well, that must be like next level, you know, and so I'm just not even going to mess with any of that. Um, and so when you think about picky eating, you know, think about how um, so often like women were like, oh, you know what we should study? Ruth. Because I can relate to Ruth. She's a woman. You know, uh, yeah. the story of Joshua, I don't know. I mean, he's a man. Or so it might be that we have this idea that there are pink parts and blue parts of the mm -hmm. Bible. Mm -hmm. uh, Proverbs 31 is for me, but the first nine chapters of Proverbs, that's for men because it seems like it's maybe dealing with adultery or, you know, and we, we carve it all up the way that we want to um, so that we, we sort of justify spending time in some places and avoid spending time in others. And so, of course, you know, a lot like the pinball approach or the magic eight ball approach, what we're doing is we are, we have a, a, a fundamental assumption about the Bible that the Bible does not say about itself. It says that all scripture is profitable and God breathed, which means that in the course of a lifetime, we should be working to spend time in right. all of it, right? Right. All of it. Are there like specific books of the Bible in particular that I, uh, couching it by saying mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Like you just said, all of the Bible is profitable, yeah. useful. We need to be in all of it, understand all of it. Mm -hmm. But are there specific passages or books of the Bible in particular that you feel like would be that women's ministries in particular just avoid at all costs that actually have a lot to say for how we live our lives? Yeah, there's a lot of them. Uh, some of it is just the sheer length of books of the Bible that impacts yeah. which ones we're gonna study. So it's not even necessarily an issue of the perceived pink books mm -hmm. of the Bible or pink sections of the Bible, although that is a part of the discussion. Like I'm sure that the women who are listening could tell you, oh yeah, I've studied 
you know, Esther a thousand times yeah. or Ruth a thousand right. times, or I've picked out the female um, characters in the Bible and talked about their significance, completely ripped out of the context of their stories, <laughs> you know, that kind of a thing. Yeah, we, yeah. we have these ways, these workarounds we have to try to make the Bible seem like, oh no, ladies, we see you. Mm -hmm. So there is that aspect, but there's another issue that I think is a problem in the church as a whole, and that is this perception that we're all busy, we only have so much time, and the conventional wisdom, which I flatly disagree with, is that people won't commit to things that are longer than about six weeks. Mm -hmm. A typical sermon series length might be about that long. And so what that means is we get compressed into only studying shorter books of the Bible and many times studying those over and over again and never studying longer books of the Bible that won't fit themselves into these shorter time frames. And so you know, I'll ask a large group of people, a room full of people when I'm teaching, how many of you have done a Bible study over the book of Ephesians and all the hands go up? And then I'll say, how many of you done more than one? And the hands stay up. You know, they've done yeah. all of these shorter books of the Bible uh, over and over and over again, which obviously, yeah, is there value in going back to these books again and again? Sure, but not if, again, it means that you've never studied Genesis or you've never studied Exodus because they're longer books of the Bible. Right. Uh, and you can't get more foundational than Genesis and Exodus. Yeah. But I know how many people will never go there on their own and have never been taken through them just because of the length. So I'm sure that, I mean, myself personally, you've said that you've also kind of fallen into some of these approaches, all, all of these approaches. All of them at some point. Yeah, yeah at some point. Mm -hmm. And some of it could be season of life based. Some of it is just how we have a tendency mm -hmm. to go to the word. Mm -hmm. What is maybe an overarching misconception that all of these have? Is there mm -hmm. something that all of them are kind of saying, this is really what we're getting wrong with all of them when it comes to how we approach the Bible? So the first one is we think that learning the Bible should be easy. Yeah. We just think that um, if we have any kind of habit of coming to the scriptures at all, then it should just make us a better Christian. And um, that's just, that's not, that's not how learning happens. That's not how uh, interacting with a book happens. And so I think when we reframe the Bible as a book, as at least a book, and we determine that we're gonna treat it with at least the level of respect that we would give to a common textbook or to the works of Shakespeare, then it changes things for us. And we begin to realize, oh, actually, I've spent a lot of years doing things that I said were Bible study, that were actually something else. And so um, I think the assumption that it's gonna be easy is one that we have to address, and we need to recognize that no aspect of the Christian life has been promised to us as being easy. Yeah, right. Um, it's been promised to us as being deeply, deeply valuable mm -hmm. and also really, really hard work. And I think, you know, some of the disconnect here is because we know that we're saved by grace through faith alone. Yeah. And so it's like grace is how we got here. But we, we don't recognize that grace-driven effort is what fuels our sanctification, and it's work. That's work. Um, I think one, one famous theologian has said, your, your justification costs you nothing and your sanctification costs you everything. Mm. And uh, this is part of that everything, is that we devote ourselves to this disclosure of who God is. Uh, because we think he's eminently beautiful, and the more that we're able to see that in this lifetime, the more we'll be conformed by it. You had mentioned there was two things that people typically have a misconception about or get wrong about Bible study. What was the second one? Mm -hmm. The other one would be that all contact with the Bible is good contact. In other words, 
everything that involves looking into the Bible in some regard is a Bible study. Mm. And so, you know, you're probably familiar with this, even in a lot of local churches where they'll say, okay, these are our Bible studies that we're offering this month. And I've had this happen. It's been so strange for me um, to have people say, oh, we're doing your Bible study, none like him. And I have to say, oh, I don't say it, but I think in my head, that's not a Bible study. You know, or, oh, we're going to do your Bible study, Women of the Word. Well, that's not a Bible study. That's a book. Those are both both, both yeah. books you've written. Yeah, and they have questions in them that are going to ask you to look up some verses. Yeah. But that's not, a, that's not a Bible study. And so when we have a clear definition for what it means to actually be studying, then we're better able to be able to discern, well, have I been doing that or have I been doing all of these other things? And so uh, if everything is a Bible study, then nothing is a Bible study, yeah. essentially. You know, anything goes. And think about how... Um, because people have come to church for years and gone to things that we've called a Bible study, they're so stunned when they find that years down the road, they still don't know the Bible um, because we didn't have precision of terms. They didn't know what, what was the learning outcome associated with doing this thing versus this thing. Um, and because in a lot of cases, what we've offered to people, we have asked a, a fundamentally wrong question as church leaders. We've said, what do our people want instead of how are disciples formed? And so we have given people things that make them feel a particular way or give them a sense of closeness to God, but perhaps haven't challenged them to behold him um, in all of his unvarnished glory in the scriptures. Yeah. So actually in the next few weeks, we're actually gonna talk about what makes for a good Bible study, a good approach right. to Bible study. Mm -hmm. So that's what we're gonna get into next. But briefly, how would you summarize that, especially in contrast to what we've been talking about today? Mm -hmm. So you're gonna want an approach that is helping you walk through three different levels of understanding. And the first is the least interesting and appealing when you hear it, it's comprehension. Um, sometimes people will say observation for this stage. I, I call it comprehension because um, when I hear you're going to read something and observe what it says, I hear a little level of subjectivity in there that I just have have sort of steered away from in the years I've talked about this. So, cause I might observe some things that are not actually there just because I'm still learning how to do things. So I use comprehension for that first level. Comprehension is just asking the question, what does it say? And it means that by the time I've spent some time in a particular portion of an entire book, I should be able to understand um, just I, I should be able to tell you what it says. I should be able to pass a basic pop quiz over the factual information. And then the next step would be interpretation. So once I've spent good time just trying to get the words under my skin, so to speak, then I'm gonna to start to ask, I move from what does it say to what does it mean? Uh, we start asking meaning questions and there are tools associated with that. And then lastly, and only after those first two steps have been attempted, I begin to ask, how should it change me? In other words, what do I do with this? And one of the key elements of any uh, application time in the scriptures is to reflect back on what do I know is true about God from what I'm reading here before I run to the me questions, right? So, um, and that's a, you can probably hear in that in a 15 minute interval of time at 6 a.m., what are you going to be able to accomplish? And so that's yeah. some of what we can talk about in our upcoming sessions yeah. is how do I do, what, where do I find the time to do this? All of those things. Yeah, perfect. That's a great preview. So we'll look forward to talking about that in the weeks to come. And thanks to you for joining us for this episode of the Women of the Word podcast. Tune in next week where Jen and I will discuss five key principles for transformative Bible study. 
If you found this content helpful, we'd love for you to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you all here again next week.